0: Psalm 127 verse 1, it says a song of ascents of Solomon, and you'll know the verse, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, they watch in vain, they stay awake in vain. And just considering like what I had shared with, the, with other services is our incredible like need for prayer. And as a church to maybe in new ways, just wake up to the fact that we need to pray and really seek the Lord individually, of course, right? And so we've encouraged that personal relationship with the Lord and your own walk with Him and prayer. But then there's just a need, I'm telling you right now, there's a need for us to seek the Lord together, right? As a church to pray and even so like my encouragement is like, hey guys, just know this, we need to pray and seek Him and like he, God is our protector. And he's the one who watches over us. Like what this psalm says, unless he builds the house, like I'm wasting time. You guys are wasting time. We need the presence of almighty God here in the midst of us. And then in our own lives individually, or I've got nothing, right? I hope you know that. I mean, you've got nothing unless I have, unless you have him, which I know, you know, right? We all know these things, but it's just this, like, I want to make sure we start off this morning, I guess, recognizing that truth, right? Kind of. Puts a verse to the just maybe the sense it's like, oh, we need Jesus, we need the Lord so much, you know. And so, I want to encourage you guys like this morning is a chance for that. We have that opportunity to hang out together as a church and to set our minds on the Lord. We've spent time in worship, minds are set on Him. You guys need Him, I need Him, we're desperate for Him. We have things that are happening, and it's all enumerated right here black and white on paper check it out we have some morning prayer time going on obviously tonight we're hanging out we're going to worship and pray tonight Uh, we've got some um, great important stuff to pray for but there's things happening please take a look at what's going on and then see where the lord would have you be involved and so on all right we're in acts chapter 21 We'll do a little bit of a review of sorts leading up to this. If you're new or haven't been with us or you've been with us in the last 4 or 5 weeks, it's not been normal. Now we're getting back to what is normal. We're in Acts chapter 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll pass it around to you. When we look at this and when we approach Acts chapter 21, you remember that Paul was hanging out in Ephesus or sorry, Miletus. With all of the elders, the overseers of the church there in Ephesus, they all came down to So It's a little beach town. They're hanging out, soaking up the rays, having some good times, talking and enjoying time with, with Paul and others. Paul had spent more time in Ephesus, which is where these people were from, than any other place. About three years of ministry. The apostle John hung out in Ephesus for quite some time. It seems had a ministry there. Paulos had a ministry in Ephesus. You have Timothy, who was commissioned to spend some time in Ephesus. The place received a lot of investment, and it was a wild place. You might remember that it had the temple of the great goddess Diana. That's what they called her. I'm not calling her great, but that's what the Ephesians called her. And it was one of the seven wonders of the world, a massive, huge pantheon type of thing. They would worship, they would experience worship in ways that were messed up, but not unlike how we do it today in many ways. And it was a spiritually alive place, but everyone was dead spiritually, right? So lots of ministry took place there. Um, A lot of ministry went out of there and a lot of influence For the gospel came from Ephesus. Paul spent that time, you might remember, he says, among you, wolves are going to rise up. Not just wolves, but savage wolves are going to rise up among you. They're going to speak perverse things, and they're going to try to draw away the disciples after themselves. He says, so be careful and watch and be aware of what's going on. And so he leaves a lot of truth there before them. He wraps up their time. You might remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He quotes Jesus. That quote's not in the gospels, but it was something that Jesus had said that had been passed on down through. And now we had it here where Paul either had personally had that conversation with Jesus or he had heard it from one of the apostles or something. We discussed how, yes, of course, that deals with our finances and and that's an important aspect of it. But man, how much more is it with our time and how we invest in human beings for the sake of the gospel? contextually Paul is dealing with finances though okay when we catch up with Paul they're getting on a ship you might remember they're crying over him and they're weeping because they're not going to see him anymore they spend a lot of time together and it's saying goodbye to somebody that you will not see again because they're going off onto a journey and it's how it is and so they're weeping and they're sorrowing they accompanied him to the ship and that brings us to Acts 21. Let me pray, and we'll get after it. Lord, have your way. This is your word. We sit under it. We submit to it, the authority of your word. And we ask that you would speak to your people. We thank you that you are the one who has built this house. You're the one who has redeemed. You are our Watchmen, you protect us, and you see it all, and so we just are going to rest right now in you, Jesus. We're going to ask that your Spirit would come and teach us and move in our hearts, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we go, I'm going to get through 14 verses, and the end is going to be like, how on earth do you know God's voice when there's a lot of other voices around? I suppose there's one way you could say it. What you're going to find is just a really interesting section here. But how do you know God's voice? And then also just trusting that God will speak to you is what we're going to kind of end with. Before we read, I want to offer you a little bit of a backdrop on Paul's life real quick. In Acts chapter 21, we're hanging out. Paul has written, maybe two or three years before, four years before. He's already written First and Second Corinthians. And so everything we find in there, he's experienced by now, okay? And so I'm going to read, or I'm going to read a list from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It starts in verse 22. It's just a list of all that his travels have brought him so far. He starts off, he says, labor's more abundant, stripes above measure, Those would have been on the back of his legs, right? in his back, like he's talking about being, having been hit. Prisons more frequently, deaths often. Five times from the Jews, he received 40 stripes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. There was an instance where he was stoned as a form of execution. Three times he was shipwrecked and we have one still to come. Think about all that's still to come in his life, you know. A night and a day he sat out in the open waters. Journeys often, right? Always travel in places. He said he was in perils of or in danger when he was in the water. In peril when he was among robber or from robbers. He was in perils when he was among his own people. He was in perils when he was with Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false Christians. He said, I experienced weariness and toil and sleeplessness. Hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, nakedness. And he said, that's not even to mention the daily deep concern that he had for all the churches because he loved the people. This is what has all happened before the, this traveling took place, right? If you turn, if you don't mind, to Acts chapter 9, I, I want to... Give you the reason why. Why would he ever do this? Like, did he sign up for that? You guys know the answer, but it's like, what in the world keeps somebody going like that? The fast answer, the quickest answer is Jesus, okay? And having heard him speak clearly, that's what keeps you going. Nothing else matters. Now, we kind of did this last week, the week before, when we talked about Vision Sunday and so on. Like, I have got to hear him speak. The voice of God, through the word of God, like, I want him to lead me and speak to me and show me where I'm supposed to go. And if you can endure what Paul had just listed, and he wasn't the only one who experienced that. We're going to talk about Paul's ministry team here in a minute. What keeps you going, man? Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, we've got Jesus telling Ananias, go tell Paul this, okay? The Lord said to him, go, for he, that's Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. This is the message that Paul received from Jesus You're going to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. We're getting ready to read this section. He's already, in many ways, gone to the Gentiles. His ministry has taken place, flourished. Kings, he's getting ready to be before kings pretty much for the remainder of our time in Acts. Overseers, governors, so on, government officials, and then to the children of Israel. Paul's getting ready to have a chance. We're not going to get to it today. We'll see about next week or whenever. But where he is going to be able to stand in front of thousands of his people. Jesus said he would be able to. And then there's that stinking verse 16 where it says, I'm going to show him how many things he's got to suffer for my name. I just read to you the list that isn't yet complete, but the things that he suffered for Jesus' name. How do you keep going? When Jesus speaks and when it's for him, I, how do you stop, I guess, right? Easy to say, right, now, that's for sure. But that's what moved him. And as we get into this section, I want you to know that this is a guy who's carrying scars, who's carrying, like, having experienced incredible amounts of trauma, having been beaten and killed multiple times. I don't know what that does to you but it can't be good, right? It affects you. And yet he had this heart and love for Jesus. He's like, it doesn't even bother me, right? We've we've been through Acts chapter 20, right? Doesn't even bother me, he says. Now we're gonna read his travels. Keep all that in mind because we're gonna revisit it here in a second. Acts chapter 21, throw that map up there if you don't mind. It came to pass... We departed from them, we set sail, running a straight course. We came to Kos. The next day, to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. In order for you to see this, check it out. So, this is Miletus up here. They sailed down to Kos, Rhodes, Patera. Okay, I don't know if y'all could see that over there, but just to be nice to you. Miletus, Kos, Rhodes, Patera. Okay, and then they're gonna travel all through there. Okay. So that gives you an idea on where they're at on the map. There's just no other way I could have done it. So lasers. All right. So they did this. They found a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, which is where that big, long red line is going to go. We went aboard and we set sail. A couple interesting things. Kos, that first little place they went to, was the birthplace of Hippocrates or Hippocrates, however you want to say it, who is the father of modern medicine. He was born in 460 BC on that little bitty island. And that's where the first school of medicine was. And it's interesting that, maybe it's not, it's just like, it's where they went, I suppose you could say, but Luke like would have known that. He was a physician. He would have known that's where like the first school of medicine would have been and all that stuff. So they passed by there. All that to be said, just know this, it's a real place that actually existed where other people were and they would have sailed to it and went right past it. They came there, and they just keep sailing, passing these real places. Rhodes uh, was a a home of another seven wonder of the world, ancient wonder, the Colossus of Rhodes, which was a giant statue that spanned a harbor. You might have heard about it. They built it like in 2-whatever BC, and then I'm thinking like, 15 years, maybe, if I can remember remember reading everything correctly, somewhere around there, like it only lasted for a a few decades, and then an earthquake it crumbled and fell down, and it's like, oh man, all that work for nothing. But it was this massive 108-foot statue of a dude, like, we won type of thing, you know, victory pose type thing. And so they would have passed there, they would have known about it, it wasn't standing at the time. But Rhodes was famous for having done such an architectural wonder. They finally got to Patera, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's a coastal city. <clears throat> it was home to this person called the Oracle of Apollo. It was second only to the Oracle of Delphi. Now, I don't know if any of you remember back in the day when we were in Acts chapter 16, Paul was in Philippi, and he was being followed by a girl who was demon-possessed, she brought a lot of money to her masters, right? They were just using her and so on. She's following Paul and, and Barnabas around saying, oh, look at that, servants of the most high God. Eventually, Paul's sick of it, and he turns around, and he rebukes the demon, and he casts the demon out. She had the, was possessed by the spirit of, and the Greek word there is python, and it goes back to this occult that was there during the time of the Oracle of Delphi that protected It's a big old long thing. It's all just demon stuff. And so as they're passing through here, they're experiencing, and even the reason why I wanted to bring these things to your attention, is that this is real history, and these were real people. And the places that Paul went had like serious strongholds. They weren't following Jesus. And so everywhere they go, it like really mattered, like what it does today. People are so lost today. People are so hurting. You guys know the situation. We've talked about it time and again. But it's just no different. Wherever Paul went, there was a desperate need for light to shine bright in these areas. Wherever you go, desperate need for a light to shine bright. You get to do that. You hold something so precious. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you get to go and share that by the way you live, by what you say, so on and so forth. And as they're passing through all these things, there's a purpose to it. Paul's going somewhere very specific. He's got to get to Jerusalem. We'll find out why here in a second. They finally get to verse three here. They had sighted Cyprus. We passed it on the left. So Cyprus, as they're traveling, would have been over here on the left. They would have seen the coastline. Cyprus, if you remember, 10 or so years earlier, Paul and Barnabas would have been sailing the other direction and they would have landed in Cyprus for, on their very first mission, missionary journey uh, about 10 years earlier. Remember, uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Why'd they go to Cyprus? Well, Barnabas was there. He had family. Let's just go there and see what the Lord does. So they would have sailed there. So here Paul is traveling back by Cyprus, memories of all the things they had. Remember, Paul's a human. He would have had memories. They would have looked out there and seen it and thought about, oh, I remember, maybe, you know, Okay, then they sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload her cargo. All right, I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul's not on a luxury liner. He's on like a cargo ship, and it's probably not very nice. In fact, that was a normal way of traveling. You would have been thankful for it. Interestingly enough, Paul, in his occupation as a tent maker, a lot of times they would be at ports and they would sell tents for people who were going on cargo ships so that they would have shelter from storms or rain when they were there. These cargo ships weren't concerned about you and your comfort. If you needed to get somewhere, you'd pay a small fee and you could ride their boat if they had room for you. Well, here they did. And so you've got a group of guys traveling with Paul heading wherever they're trying to go, getting to wherever they can get. These guys are the best at just figuring stuff out, get where you need to get as cheaply as possible. And so you hop on a grain ship traveling for some place or a cargo ship and you just make do. It's what was there and what what he had. These guys who were with him, it's worth pausing for just a moment because I hope that if I can just navigate all this right, this will add to it, I really hope. In Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we get a snapshot of Paul's travel companions. And you'll see as we are here in Tyre that they stopped there, and they were there for seven days. If you look at verse 4, they found some disciples. They were there for seven days hanging out. And what were they doing? We'll get to that. But you have a guy named Sepater of Berea. We don't know anything about him other than he was from Berea. Well, what can we learn about them? Maybe we can learn that the Bereans were really into, like, Bible study and knowing, like, is Jesus the Christ or not? Well, let's search the Scriptures. So you've got this guy, Cepater, who's with them, Aristarchus, and Sagundus from Thessalonica. Thessalonica uh, experienced the church there, like, some serious persecution. Long story short, Aristarchus was with Paul in prison, according to Colossians, at least, Long-time travel companions with these guys. Sagundus as well, Gaius of Derby. You've then got Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Trophimus. These guys have been with Paul through the thick and thin. They could have written a list out like Paul, shipwrecked, stripes above measure. Like they've been there. They share some of the same scars that Paul has. They've seen incredible move of God's spirit. They've watched things unfold. They've seen Paul preach this message. Trophimus, he did this and all these things, right? They lived this stuff together. Now they're huddled on a cargo ship, traveling, trying to get to Jerusalem for a particular time. And they land in this little bitty place called Tyre. Jesus had some ministry in Tyre. He met a Greek Syro-Phoenician woman who asked and said, "Hey, my daughter has a is demon possessed. Could you heal her?" And Jesus is like, "Hey, like I can't throw crumbs to the little dogs." And she's like, "Man, but even a little dog's got to eat." And he's like, "Wow, right on." Absolutely. I I will heal your daughter, right? That's exactly how it went down, too. <laughs> and so Jesus had a ministry entire. Uh, the pro, the place had been evangelized, you know, already and there were people who were following Jesus there. N- not a huge work. We'll find out. Probably not huge because like all their wives and children accompany them to the shore, right? If we all tried to do that, it wouldn't work, right? Way too many of you. But a small church, and what I want to point out is imagine how cool it would be if Paul and like Timothy and Trophimus and Aristicus walked into the church like, hey, we're here for seven days. Let's hang out. What would we do? I would go sit down, okay? And I'd be like, Paul, man, come on, tell us something. <clears throat> how have things been, you know, tell us about this and that. <clears throat> we would have seven days of just, we're going to be in the fellowship hall every night and there are just going to be stories. You can come ask them questions and what's it been like and how are you doing this. The church would have just been hanging out, loving hearing stories of all that God has done. And they would have spent time in the Word praying. They would have spent time just chatting, eating food together, all that good stuff. They would have just spent time together. But imagine like that kind of all-star team walking around into a small church and just blessing them, pr- praying over them, and just serving. They would, I don't think personally they would have come in like, do you know who we are? I'm Paul. They wouldn't have done that. It's just a chance to hang out with your brothers and your sisters and spend time together just like what you would do. <laughs> it wouldn't be any different. You would just hang out, and you would relish this time you get to have with somebody like Paul and Timothy right? It would have been so much fun to see them. They were there with them seven days. Notice what happens though, is you have this interesting thing. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Who's they? Maybe those residents of Tyre that were there, maybe not necessarily his travel companions, but they through the Spirit told Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. I'm asking you to take note, we're going to pause on it, we're going to continue to read, and then when we get to verses 10 through the rest, we're going to revisit this, okay? So just remember it, it's an odd statement. How do I know exactly what that means? What do you mean they told him through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem? Does that mean he shouldn't go to Jerusalem? Did the Spirit tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem? So we're going to we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture, which is how you study Scripture, and we're just going to see what happens, all right? I'll deposit something and see if you guys care. Okay, back to the map, if you want to throw that. Oh, you're already on it. You guys are amazing. All right, verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. They accompanied us with their wives and children until we were out of the city. We knelt down on the shore and prayed. Super cool scene. I'm sure you can envision it in your mind, what it would have been like. there on the shore of the Mediterranean and praying together. Paul, we love you. God bless you on your trip fill them up with the Spirit, and Paul would have prayed over them, and then Timothy would have prayed. It would have just been really a sweet time. Just so you guys remember, this actually happened, and it's real, and it would have been like what it would have been like if you were there, you know. Like, it would have been sweet. It would have been good. It would have been hard to say goodbye. You just had a week of just like ecstasy, and you just had such a good time. You are still, you feel so filled up with the Spirit, having been with these people, and now they're going. It's like, God bless. Keep going hard, guys, right? We When we had taken our leave, this is verse 6, of one another. We boarded the ship. They returned home. When we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Poltimaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them for a day. Had a great time. You guys know the drill now. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Okay, we're gonna take a second here and just chit-chat about who this guy is, Philip the Evangelist. You might recall that we are introduced to him in Acts chapter six. He's one of the seven deacons that were called on to minister to the needs of the widows that were there in the early church. The Hellenist widows, they weren't being taken care of quite as well. And so, Paul, sorry, Peter and the apostles say, We can't do it all. Just grab some guys and let us know. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They got to have a good reputation in the community. And they need to be full of wisdom. And so, there's Philip, right? He's there. You might remember, Stephen in Acts chapter 7? Stephen was there. And he delivered an address to the whole Jewish establishment there. And then they end up killing him. But as he's there, Philip, they meet again. Now, he wasn't Philip the evangelist back then. But he is now, and something has happened, and I just want to share that with you guys—a really cool story, of like forgiveness, of, of faithfulness, that this guy was after it. In Acts chapter eight, Philip was moved by the Lord to go to Samaria, and he was the first one that goes and shares the gospel to the Samaritans. You might remember, like that's a big deal. There was prejudice against them, and so like walls are coming down because the gospel makes it so and he goes there and he's the one who go and shares the gospel the spirit of god gets poured out on the samaritans just like what happened with the jews and an amazing thing takes place right and then the the, the big wigs from jerusalem go up and they're like man this is awesome god you pour in your spirit out on the samaritans how cool is that then philip is asked to leave a revival and go to a desert you remember this And as he's in a desert, wouldn't you know it, but there's this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading from the scroll Isaiah, and he's like, awesome. So the Lord's like, hey, go up there and talk to him. He talks to him. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone tells me? Well, here I am. I, I can help. And so he goes on then and starts to share with the Ethiopian eunuch all about Jesus. Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, gets baptized right there and then goes and takes the gospel we kind of assume to Ethiopia. You remember when we were talking about that operation where Israel actually flew planes to Ethiopia and gathered Israelites because they believed that is like from Solomon descendants of Solomon were there <clears throat> and we talked about how God was slowly opening the door up for the church to realize that salvation was going to be un, like also given to the Gentiles. And they just, God was so good to start slowly and incrementally, right? Real carefully, opened opened the door up for the Jews and then the Samaritans and then the Ethiopian and then finally the Gentiles. Guess where that took place? Oh, that was in Caesarea, right where we are right now. How cool is that? That's where Philip ended up being. After all that, he got translated away. He was wandering around in astosis or some As- Azotis. And then it says he lands in Phila- or in Caesarea, which is where Paul is now. But this is like 23 years ago. As best we know, Philip was hanging out in Caesarea, had a family business. He's able to house a lot of people, so he probably had a big house. Paul's travel companions, his family, and then anybody else who's with them are staying there That would have been he he was wealthy. (coughs) And here's Philip, 23 years later, faithfully serving Jesus, faithfully plugged into the community, not going other places. You see, God just calls people differently. Paul was traveling places all all over the place. But here you have this beautiful picture of what it means to plant roots and to develop community and to be where you are. That's what Philip was. He was right where he was, man. He planted, and he did ministry in Caesarea, which was a really cool place, just so you know. Caesarea was cool, um, like in terms of just modern stuff. It doesn't matter right now. Um, okay, so they stayed there, and then he's, the guy had four virgin daughters, and then this joker Agabus comes. Verse 10, look at this. Okay, yeah. What are you doing? Things get complicated. <laughs> oh, man. Agabus, what are you doing? And we stayed many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. Don't know how that went down. Did he just steal it from him? Or did he say, hey, Paul, can I borrow your belt? Either way, he got his belt. And he bound his hands and his feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. It would seem as though <clears throat> God had moved on his heart to leave Judea, travel up to Caesarea, he probably heard Paul's in town or something, and go up there, and he's got a message for him. Now, this is where we can kind of get verse 4 back in the picture, because you'll notice in verse 12, it says, Now, when we, okay, now remember, we're good Bible students. Who is the we? It says, Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place. We. Okay, well, that definitely includes Luke because Luke's writing it, right? So you have Luke, and remember that ministry team I was telling you about that had been there, done that, and fought hard with Paul who'd been in prison, who'd been experiencing all this, and they're there as well. You've got four virgin daughters that are hanging out there, right? Philip is there, the rest of his household, probably his wife, his, his people, just the church was there. <clears throat> they heard Agabus say this, and they interpret what Agabus says as what? don't go to Jerusalem, right? And so a message was given. God moved in the heart of Agabus and said, hey, tell Paul this. But notice there's like this interesting way that man might maybe interprets it as don't go, right? And so we're just trying to realize those two things aren't the same. How do you know what God's trying to say? When you've got this over here and this over here, in verse 4, you can look at that again. They told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. It's likely, well, I'm going to kind of just tell you what I think, is that it's similar to what happened here. That the message was, you got hardship and crazy stuff coming your way, Paul. And so then they would be like, don't go. But that's not what necessarily God was saying. Um, And as we look at what was said here from Agabus, which, by the way, Agabus and Paul met, About 15 years earlier, when Agabus uh, prophesied there was going to be a famine all throughout Judea, and the the apostles in the church at the time they took a collection up to go and help relieve the people there in Jerusalem. Agabus came down there and and said, "Kind of, thus saith the Lord, there's going to be a, uh, a famine." So these guys have already met, you know, 15 years ago, and here he is again. They're hanging out and they interpret Agabus's message to Paul, as don't go. But Paul had been told by the Lord this was gonna happen. So what do you do? Okay, real quick. Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Paul says, when these things were accomplished, this is Luke, sorry, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Jerusalem. Rome. When we see that, something in Paul, let me just say like this, like, Paul really thought that God was calling him to go to Jerusalem. Like, he would say, like, God told me to go to Jerusalem, right? They was hanging out with the Lord, and just Jesus said, Paul, I I want you to go to Jerusalem. Paul's like, man, I really think I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, etc., etc. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, and now see, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. All right. I think we're looking at that right now here in Acts chapter 21, where this this is an example of Paul. He's like, everywhere I go, the churches, people in the church are like, hey, Paul, it's going to get dirty there. Like, don't go. And they were equating difficulty ahead with don't go. And they're like kind of conflating the two. Keep in mind, please, that this is a ministry team of like beasts who have been there and done that, but they love Paul. Is it based on human interpretation? Like it's going to get hard, so don't go. Some people will say that Paul just didn't hear the Lord right and he wasn't supposed to go, right? And I I don't think that's true personally, but there are people who do, and you you can interpret it that way. It's likely just that they were not getting it. Paul had already heard from Jesus You're going to be a witness to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the children of Israel, and you're going to suffer. Just buckle up, right? We've been there. We've talked a lot about it. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But you could probably hear the believers begging Paul, Luke included, like, Paul, think about it. Why would you willingly go into harm's way? Do you think that God would call you to go in harm's way? What do you think Paul said? (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, Jesus said it, take heart, be of good cheer, man. You're going to fall in a tribulation, but don't worry about it. He says, I've overcome the world. It's just inevitable, actually, to think that I won't experience tribulation and difficulty as a follower of Christ is to have missed so much of what Scripture teaches us. And the elevation of safety and like interpreting God's will through safe or not is not going to work. It doesn't. And so we allow scripture to speak. The whole point of this is allowing God to speak and allowing the spirit to lead you and that I don't have certain prerequisites to him leading me. We, could it be dangerous? Yes. Are there risks involved? Absolutely, there could be. We just don't want to conflate the two. It's dangerous, so, it's, so God's not in it. I, I want to encourage you that is wrong, okay? Oftentimes, oftentimes. Never would say to be reckless, you guys tracking with me, or to just be stupid or an idiot. I'm not suggesting any of those things are appropriate. But I want to be led by the Lord. Remember, Jesus spoke very clearly to Paul. And he sensed in his heart, like, I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. But all the while, he's hearing, this is going to get bad. You're going to get beat up, and you're going to be pound and put in prison and so on. Paul's like, well, what else am I supposed to do but just keep going? It's what the last thing Jesus said was to do this. And so he'd fall back on, like, Lord, what do I do? I hear what they're saying. You're going to be put in harm's way. Paul, if you go and get bound up, it's going to hinder ministry. Don't go. We need you here sharing the gospel. We need you to do lead leading Bible studies. We need you for this and that and this. Don't go. Why would God send all of these warnings to you if he wasn't trying to get you to stop going? Can you imagine the dialogue and just the difficulty of trying to reason through these things? And like, guys, at the end of the day, Jesus has asked me to go, I'm going, you know, type of thing. Maybe the timing is off, Paul. Like, just don't go yet. Yes, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem, but just not now. Maybe you should wait a year and let things just cool off or something. You notice Paul's response, though, so similar to what he's already said time and again. He says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Can you imagine just just the emotion that's there? They're all around him. Like, don't do this, Paul. We love you. We need you. And he's like, stop. Stop. This is hard enough as it is. You're making my heart hurt. He says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of it. You guys know that. And Paul actually believed it. And he's like, I have been told from the very get-go that it's going to be tough and that I get to suffer for the name of Jesus. And he gets to be exalted through that suffering. How cool is that? And Paul, I mean, he's like, I don't even care, right? And we already read that. None of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself so that I can complete my race with joy in the ministry that the Lord has set before me to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's been there. He's done that. He's seen it. He's so aware of all these things already. How do I know what God is trying to say? If somebody came and in the spirit, like said this prophecy, it's like, okay, am I not supposed to go? What do you do? You go back to what God has said. Ultimately, you submit to him. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, it talks about how you should not despise prophecy. And so when Paul heard Agabus say this, don't despise prophecy. Don't think little of it. Don't be like, eh, whatever, Agabus. You're just an old dude who keeps on prophesying weird stuff. Don't do that. That's not appropriate. Don't despise prophecy. But right after that, it says, test all things and hold fast to that which is good. And so your responsibility, your individual responsibility is to hear from the Lord. That's what you get to do. You get to enjoy a relationship with Jesus who loves you desperately, who wants to speak to you. You're going to hear him right here in the word. You spend time with the Lord, time in prayer. He speaks to you and he'll lead you and he'll guide you. And you surround yourself with people who are going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear they're going to tell you what you need to hear. But ultimately, you have to hear from the Lord. And you have to be convinced and convicted in your own spirit that God has led you this way or that way. Because you and you alone stand before the Lord. You can't be like, oh, but you know, no, it's you, man. He'll speak to you. That's what's so incredible about this, is he actually will speak to you. Why? Because he loves you and you're his and he will speak to you. Proverbs 24.6, in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Not direction, safety. So what do you do? Direction comes from the Lord, but you have to surround yourself with people. It's so healthy and good. You have an idea, or God has moved in your heart in a certain way, and you just present it to them and then they say this, they say that about it, and you consider it, right? You think about it, and you appreciate their input. You're humble enough to consider that you might not be hearing right. What do you do then? You take it and you set it before the Lord. Jesus, what do you think about all these things that they were saying? I see it, I understand, it puts me in harm's way. Maybe the timing is different. And the Lord will speak to you, and he will guide you. As you spend time in the word, you spend time in prayer, he'll speak to you. There's a confidence that comes from you enjoying Jesus and spending that time with him. Allow him to speak to you. Does it get confusing and complicated? Sometimes it can. For Paul, it seemed pretty clear. He just knew that he knew he was going to Jerusalem and he was gonna get a full expense paid trip thanks to Rome all the way to Rome. He's gonna get that, right? God's gonna take care of him. He's not gonna to, to pay for a dime. <coughs> not maybe how he had hoped it would be, but God was speaking, preparing Paul's heart. Like, stay strong, Paul. It's coming. Stay strong. Keep going. It's going to get hard, but it's going to get good, right? <laughs> and so on. So we just, it's where we are. God will speak to you. If you have questions or wonder how that works, ask. But I want you to know this. He'll never say anything contrary to his word. And so that's one way you can know. If your friends are like, hey, no. You know, you, you can't do that. That's actually what, against what scripture says. You need to listen to your friends. They're giving you good advice. It's what God's word says. And so we just try to take whatever God has said, Lord, okay, I see your word and just weighing it, putting it before the Lord, allowing him to speak. Trust that he'll speak. Position yourselves, listen to him. That's all I got. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and thank you for this time. And would very sincerely ask that you would reveal your will to us and show us, like just on the daily and every step of the way, what it is you would have us to do. I thank you for the example we see here of Philip who just faithfully stayed in a spot and, and invested and put down roots and raised a family that loved you and was used in his community there for the furtherance of the gospel in ways of hospitality and just sharing the good news of Jesus with his people all around him. That's a great example. We thank you for the example of Paul, who has a resolve, no matter what, I'm going to Jerusalem because that's what Jesus told me to do, and even though it's going to get hard, I'm still going to obey. Lord, would you help us to walk in that right there? Um, as your church, we present ourselves before you, Jesus, and say, here we are. Have your way. Fill us up with your spirit. Use us in a mighty and powerful way. We need you. We love you. Thank you for this time. Use your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.